Hello, I'm Alison. Reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 16, beginning at verse 11, going through to verse 34. It's found on page 898 of the Church Bible. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city, gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyratira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She'd followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, good morning. And uh, Pete Seven is my name. I'm the senior minister here at Norwest. And I want to welcome you to the second week uh, of our sermon series here 
uh, our vision series, the way we're kicking off 2017, Norwest Now and Norwest Next. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you might remember that James spoke to us about Norwest Now, the first part of our series, which was all about how we as a church here at Norwest will continue to respond in grace to the many new people that God keeps bringing along here to Norwest right now. You'll remember he spoke about the fact that we'll be planting a brand new church service in term four of this year, so to enable our growth here that God keeps bringing to continue. Well, brothers and sisters, today we move our eyes, we shift our eyes from the present to the future, to Norwest next. Now, next. We shift our eyes from how we as a church will respond right now to the growth that God keeps bringing to how we might well respond and prepare ourselves for growth that God may well continue to bring for the next decade, the decade after that, and the decade after that. You know, this suburb in which we live, this part of Sydney, is going to change and morph and grow in ways yet to be seen. That will have a material impact on our church. You know, one of the criticisms ministers often hear when they go to professional development, that is when they go to places where they tell them how to be better ministers, uh, is that ministers are often so busy working in ministry that they don't slow down enough to work on ministry. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. That is, ministers are so busy in the day-to-day of writing sermons and pastoral care and organising courses and meeting new people and leading staff teams that they inevitably don't have enough time to stop, take a breath and ask this question. Is this the right thing to be doing? (laughs) And is this the right way to be doing it? Are we even heading in the right direction? Where will this take us in two years or five or ten And when we get there, do we even have a plan or a strategy, even a perspective as to what things might look like when we get there? Brothers and sisters, this vision series that James and I bring before you is an opportunity for every one of us not to work in ministry, that's the rest of the year, but to work on ministry. It's an opportunity for us all to start this new year by slowing down and asking, what do we want this church to look like? What would Jesus have us make his church look like? Beyond the week-to-week of church services, community groups, kids and youth ministry. That is to ask the question, do we, under God, do we believe that there is a purpose for us situated right here in Borkham Hills, right here next to Crestwood High School, right here in one of the fastest-growing areas in New South Wales? Well, we do. And we'll come to that in a moment. Today what I want us to do is take a brief look at the very first church that was planted in the Greek city of Philippi. Now here's what we know. We know that a flourishing church grew up in that city because in our Bibles, the Bibles you're all holding, is a letter that Paul wrote to that church, the letter to the Philippians. But I wonder if you know how that church began. See, that story isn't in Philippians. It's found in the book of Acts. 
and it predates the letter to the Philippian church by about a decade, 10 years. It's in Acts 16. Please have that open in front of you. And it's in Acts 16 that we see Paul arrive in Philippi to preach the gospel for the very first time in that city's history. What we're going to see in Acts 16 is three great little stories that tell us a lot about the gospel on the one hand and a lot about God's church on the other. Now, the first story we heard read starts in verse 14. See that? This is the story of a lady called Lydia, a well-to-do woman. This lady is very possibly a community leader. She is independent. She is professional. She is successful. How do we know that? We know that because to deal in purple cloth, which is what she does, is to sell your product to the royal and to the wealthy. What we see, friends, is that the very first person to turn to Jesus Christ in Philippi is a wealthy Gentile woman. So she's baptised. You can read that in verse 15. Uh, And her conversion to Jesus Christ is then demonstrated in her desire to open her home and share what she has with others, what we would call being hospitable. That's also in verse 15. We then move quickly to our second story, And our second story could not be more different. This time it's the story of a girl. If Lydia is a community leader, this girl is a community disgrace. Uh, If Lydia uh, is independent, this girl is enslaved. If Lydia is successful, this girl can only be seen and regarded as a complete failure. This is what we read, verse 16, have a look. Paul saying, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Her life, this little girl's life, is really a death. Possessed by demons, enslaved by men, used as a commodity, this girl has no life. Perhaps the modern-day equivalent might be the faceless girls trafficked for commercial sexual exploitation. But she too comes face-to-face with Paul. She too comes face-to-face with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The python spirit within her, we read in the original, that she has a python spirit within her, is cast out. And I think we have to assume that she too finds salvation and new life in Christ. The second person into the church in Philippi. Then we find one more story in Acts 16. As a result of saving this girl, uh, the owners of the girl are furious. They've lost their source of income. So they grab Paul and his companion Silas and they're thrown in jail. Uh, From verse 25 when we read this, we read that Paul and Silas are singing in jail, which is just an amazing sign of faith and joy and hope in God. Then this miraculous earthquake hits and everyone's chains come loose. Uh, The jailer is about to kill himself because he's a dead man anyway if any of these prisoners escape. And then Paul shouts out to him, mate, relax, we haven't gone anywhere. Listen to this from verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, 
the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptised. But many of you know the story. It's really an amazing picture in the book of Acts of God's care of Paul, right? But it's much more than that. And I need you to see that it is a story absolutely linked to the previous two. This is, in fact, the third conversion that we see in Acts 16 in Philippi of someone to Jesus Christ. And this time it is a Roman guard, almost certainly an ex-soldier, and as rough as they come. You see, the only way you're able to pull out a long piece of steel to run it through yourself is if you've pulled out that same piece of steel and run it through plenty of others. This guy is not a community leader and you could not call him professional. But nor is he enslaved and disempowered like the girl. No, what he is, is blue collar. He's a man who works with his hands. He's a man who's seen the hard, the rough, the ugly sides of life. And yet the gospel has the power to transform him as well. You see, in verse 33, we read that he too is baptised and then he too opens up his homes to those who have just brought life in Jesus to him. He's the third person into the church in Philippi. Now, I said at the beginning, these three stories, they show us together something about the gospel and something about God's church. Well, here's what we see about the gospel. The gospel, the good news that God is reconciling sinful people back to himself through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. It's on the screen if you want. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thoratia, uh, sorry, Thoratia, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Notice this. When you share the gospel with someone, there are always two things going on. Always. We really share. We really engage people. We really try to persuade people. We really call on people to trust in the Lord Jesus, to turn away from their sin and rejection of God and to find forgiveness and grace and hope in Christ alone. We really do that. We really do. We really share Paul's message. We really share Jesus' message. But now notice the first part of that bolded section. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Not Paul. It doesn't say Paul opened her heart to respond to his message. Jesus did. Nor West, when someone, anyone, comes to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time, we may well have sown seeds. We may well have shared the gospel. We might have watered seeds. But it is God who has opened someone's heart. Brothers and sisters, every ministry we do in this place, every opportunity we have here to proclaim Jesus, speak of him, boast in him, share him, we do so on our knees in prayer. For we know that our words are nothing unless God opens eyes, unless God softens hearts, unless God allows people to respond to his message of the crucified Saviour. So that's what we learn about the Gospel. But we also learn something here about 
God's church in Acts 16. You see, from the very beginning, God's church in Philippi was a diverse church where the gospel dragged together people from radically different socio-economic backgrounds and made them family in Jesus Christ. So people who won at one time, you may have been tempted to cross the street to avoid, all of a sudden became brothers and sisters whom you would open your home and more than that, open your lives to. What we actually see about God's church here in Acts 16 is that rather than the church being made up of a homogenous group of well-spoken, middle-class people who all have the gift of being socially competent, God's church is made up of people who are radically different, yet radically saved. People saved from their former lives of ignorance, like Lydia, or slavery, perhaps, like the girl, or thuggery, like the jailer, and have been brought to new life in Christ. Paul's going to go on to write more about this in his letter to the church in Rome, where he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel has the power to draw anyone to Jesus, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, slave or free, rich or poor, Chinese, Sri Lankan, Indian, Australian, university educated or high-vis wearing labourer, tattooed, not tattooed, smoker, non-smoker, single mum or no kids, married, divorced, single, homosexual, heterosexual, pansexual, young, old. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And this is who and what God's church is to be a community of people radically different to each other on the surface but radically united below the surface because we've been saved from sin and death by Jesus through his forgiveness and for life. And brothers and sisters, here at Norwest, as we look forward to the next decade and decades of ministry in this place, I'm praying that we become more Philippians that more diverse sinners will join us in this place whose hearts have been reordered by Jesus. More people with stories to tell, like Di Robertson last week, of Jesus reaching into their lives and shaking them from their small and feeble hopes and dreams, revealing to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus and then planting and establishing them down here in a community of grace and hope where they can grow, flourish, serve, give and speak of Jesus. Norwest Now last week was about the fact that this has actually happened so much in this place over the last five years that as we've already heard today, we need to do a building project in 2012 to fit in more people. 
We then needed to plant a new service in 2015 to fit in more people. And now in term four of 2017, we'll be planting another new service to fit in yet more people. But Norris Next looks further and longer. Norris Next is about us as a church looking at the next 30 years to ensure that this community that God has placed us in has a credible, viable, humble and real proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ at its centre for those who have ears to hear. And the fact is, the fact is, if we do not consider Norwest next now, that is the next 30 years, as a church and as a leadership team, we will have fallen asleep at the wheel. Now what do I mean? Consider this. The New South Wales State Government forecasts that population growth for the Hillshire Council will increase by 97% between 2011 and 2036. Just to put that in perspective, that is a doubling of our population in 25 years. Now, to be clear, some of this has already happened because this is talking about from 2011, it's already 2017. So in the last five years, the Hills population has increased by 11%. That leaves 86% growth still to come in the next 19 years, if the trends are accurate. At the same time that the Hillshire Council has grown by 11%, Norwest Anglican has grown by 300%. Now, that's not a mistake that zero should be there. That's right, at the start of 2011, we were averaging 200 adults and kids on a Sunday. Last Sunday, we had more than 600 adults and kids here, 750 on our roll. The growth that God has brought to us has not mirrored the growth that has come to this part of Sydney. It has far exceeded it. Have you ever considered why that might be? It almost seems like, think about this, it almost seems like God has been preparing our church for the next chapter that is about to land on our doorsteps, streets, schools and workplaces. And the question for you and the question for me is how are we going to respond in both faith and boldness? Could it be that God has been preparing us as a church, gearing us up, if it were, as a church, to be prepared for, a very, for very significant growth that is going to come in the years ahead? Now think about this. Even if our growth dropped from 300%, which we're sort of all praying it will, uh, even if our growth dropped from 300%, simply back to match population growth over the next 19 years, we will still be a church of more than 1,100 people by then. Now, if you were here last week, you already know how tight it was, okay? Double that. Where are we going to put them? And, and doubling last week is so conservative, really, when you look at all the trends. I don't think 300% is accurate moving forward, but I think it's going to be more than uh, the government is trending for the area. Here's the question. Will any of this happen? I have no idea. God alone knows. But God has done something remarkable here for five years, more than that. 
it's not impossible that God might well continue to do it. If you've been here over the last five years, you'll already know that here at Norwest, we will move anything so as to be able to continue to receive the growth that our God is bringing. That is, there is no church service or youth group or kids program or community group that is so sacred here that we would allow that to put a ceiling or a restriction on our ability as a whole church to continue to receive the growth God brings. Well, brothers and sisters, we are now getting to a time when that approach we have taken to ministry in this place, we are going to need to take to our buildings, our car parks and our ministry spaces. We will move anything here so as to be able to continue to receive the growth that our great God keeps bringing. And no brick wall, no insufficient kids' ministry space, no overflowing car park is so sacred that we would allow that to put a restriction or a ceiling on the amount of people and families that desire to come to be with you week in, week out, to hear of Jesus for either the first time or for the thousandth time. What we will do is what we always do. We will prayerfully, collaboratively, but clearly work out what is the best way to move things, to restructure things that as many as our God will bring we will receive with joy. We are just fundamentally convicted that the right, bold, gospel-hearted and gospel-minded thing to do here in the West is to move, change, shift anything that inhibits the wonderful work God's doing in this place. That work of a diverse people walking into the light of Jesus. That wonderful work of seeing families develop and grow Christ-honoring convictions about what it means for them in their family to live for Jesus. How dare we stand in the way of that? Now, I've got to say, it's really easy for me to stand up here and just say this. It is much harder for us all to execute it. Because as we heard today from Jan, and not only Jan, we are creatures of habit who find security in the known. Change is always hard. And certainly for some personalities, more than others. But change is hard for all of us. Do you remember how I started talking at the start of this sermon about how we're thinking in this series about how we're working on ministry, not in ministry? Well, one way for us all to, to, to do this, uh, to work on ministry, is to ask this question of yourselves. Ask this question. In 30 years' time, what would you want this place to look like? Well, perhaps another way to spin that is this. In 30 years' time, what would you want our generation's legacy, that is Norwest 2017, to be? What do you want Norwest Anchor in 2036 to say about us? Let me give you a script. This is what I want them to say about us. You know, in 2017, there was a decision made by the Saints at Norwest that actually, at the time, was huge for them. They made a decision because of their love for Jesus and because of the way they had learned that the best life lived was the life lived for others. They made a decision to set this church up for the next three decades. It cost them money. It cost them time. It cost them personal comfort. But they did it. Why would they have done that? so many years ago. Who does that? No one does that. Let me tell you why they did it. Because in 2017, they longed to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus preached 
and lived and secured in this part of Sydney for the decades to come. And we sit here in 2036, the rich recipients of their great faithfulness. I'd love that to be the script. Let's jump back to 2017. Because you know what? I have the opportunity right now to be part of that forward-looking, Jesus-loving, gospel-securing generation. And so does every single one of you. You see, Norwest Next is going to be all about the opportunity we have here in 2017 to start to ensure that under God we do not fall asleep at the wheel, that we do not neglect what God has done here over the last five years, that we do not bury our talent. Rather, we make wise choices, prayerful choices, Christ-honouring choices that will ensure that ministry will flourish in this place to the glory of God for the next 30 years. So in the middle of this year, we are going to be having a whole church meeting called Norwest Now, uh, sorry, called Norwest Next. Uh, and at that meeting, we're going to be praying and talking and thinking about how we, as the stewards of this site and as the members of God's church here, we can so use this property that we will be a city on a hill and a light on a stand that shines out across this wonderful part of Sydney. And yet, when you think about it, a part of Sydney that is much more in darkness than in light. You might recall that 12 months ago we had a property master plan committee start to investigate the best way this site can be used. You filled in surveys in late 2016. There have been meetings with architects, the council and other regulatory bodies and they've started to paint a picture as to what's actually possible on our site. And at that meeting on June 15, the committee will be presenting their findings to us all. But here's what I want to leave with you today. Here's what I want to know that you're praying about. And it has nothing to do with bricks or mortar or architects or regulatory bodies. It has everything to do with Dean. <laughs> Dean walked up the driveway of our church three months ago. He's from a non-English speaking background, had never been to a church before and had heard the word Jesus but knew nothing like nothing of him. And he came and started to hear about who Jesus was, what he's done, and how he turns life on its head. And I remember being on the deck here, speaking to Dean, knowing a new service had to start, and he said, so who is Jesus? Can you talk to me about it? Thinking, I've got to leave the next service. You know, sort of. And then this other guy from church, fabulous guy, just walked up to say good day, And I said, Dean, this is X. X, Dean has just asked who Jesus is. Can you talk to him about that? I've got to go. And this guy, because I know him, his face lit up, he said, leave it with me, Pete. So It's not about bricks, but it is about Jenny. Jenny reached out to Norwest at a low point in her life some time ago. She said to me that she came here because she had nowhere else to turn. She'd made some very serious mistakes with large legal consequences. But it was here that she learned about real love and acceptance and care and for the first time she learned what true forgiveness was because she felt it that a new start was possible because of Jesus it's not about mortar but it's all to do with Bill and Sarah Bill and Sarah have been members at Norwest for 15 years 
But earlier this year, one of their children developed a serious mental health condition. They'd known nothing like that in their family before. And they saw medical professionals who started to care for their child. But the place that gave them most solace and care and peace was meeting with the saints of Norwest. It was the people who loved them and made meals for them and prayed for them. Some who offered to drop around at two in the morning when they were at the end of themselves that made them realise that this place, this place was one of the most special places on earth. God's church full of Jesus' people. And my brothers and sisters, there are a thousand members of our church out there who don't even know that God is going to bring them in here yet. Know us now and know us next. We have a ride ahead of us. (laughs) And it's going to be amazing. For the glory of God.